Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you indeed do lead us. Father, we ask this morning that as we turn to this, your written word, that you would allow the scriptures to leap off the page in a manner that they have never done so before, so that we might hear exactly what you are speaking to us today. In the name of Christ Jesus, we thank you for this, your holy word, and for the message that you have for us today. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning is from the book of Leviticus, reading from the 19th chapter, verses 9 through 18. It's on page 124 in your pew Bible, should you like to follow along. Hear the word now of the Lord. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. But you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Here ends the reading. Thank you, Paul. A few years ago, I was uh, on the way to San Antonio uh, as a part of the alumni board of Trinity University. I had a board meeting, and my in-laws live in San Antonio, so normally when I fly into San Antonio, my father-in-law is nice enough to pick me up from the airport, and I'll usually spend the night with them and go to my board meetings. Well, when I arrived in the airport, I had received a phone call from my father-in-law telling me that something had come up and he was not going to be able to pick me up from the airport. Now, when our our plans are changed suddenly, sometimes we can get frustrated Or we can think maybe God is up to something. And he told me that I would need to take a taxi cab in order to to, uh, go to my board meeting. Well, instead of getting frustrated, I thought, well, maybe God's up to something. And uh, perhaps God has a cab driver that he wants me to share the gospel of grace with. After all, I'm a paying customer and he's going to be a captive audience while I'm in the car with him alone. So I prayed and I said, Lord, if there is a particular cab driver that you want me to share the gospel of grace with, please open a door, give me the words to speak, and give him ears to hear. 
Well, when I picked up my luggage from the San Antonio airport, I pulled up to the curb, and the first taxi cab driver to come up to me had a very, very thick foreign accent, and he invited me to come into his cab, and so I said, sure. I sat down, and I noticed on the rearview mirror was hanging a flag. It was the flag from Afghanistan. And so I said, are you from Afghanistan? And he said, uh, yes, I am. And I said, uh, well, very good. Welcome to Texas. Uh, how long have you been here? And he said, uh, 10 years. And I said, well, do you still have family in Afghanistan? And he said, yes, my mother, and I'm very worried about her because she is very sick. I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, will you be able to visit her? No, it won't be possible. I said, oh, I, I'm so sorry. Yes, I'm worried about her. She is dying, and she does not believe in God. Okay, I just asked, Lord, if you want me to share the gospel of grace with somebody, okay, just open a door and give me the words to speak and give him ears to hear. You know, when you pray those kind of prayers, God has a way of opening doors, doesn't he? We ought, probably ought to pray that prayer more often. I said, well, yes, yes, uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Before you die, uh, he, he said, yes, it is, uh, I'm upset uh, because she's dying and she doesn't know God. And I said, yes, yes, before you die, it is important to know God, isn't it? I said, are you Muslim? You know, most of Afghanistan is Muslim. Are you Muslim? And he said, yes, yes, we believe that if you don't believe in God, you go to hell. Wow. Uh, well, I'm a Christian, and we believe that Jesus came to this earth, and he, he died on the cross for our sins so that if we believe in him, we'll have the assurance of eternal life. When I share the gospel with a stranger, I usually talk, like to talk about the positive side of believing in Jesus rather than the negative consequences of not believing Yes, I've heard this before. You Christians believe that because of Jesus, you can live however you want now. That does not seem to make sense to me. I said, well, that's not exactly what we believe. Um, you know, as we journey through the, through the letter of the Galatians, we begin to, we've been discussing the gospel of grace and how the gospel of grace lets us know that we are saved by what Jesus has done for us, right? That, uh, that through faith in Christ, we have the assurance of eternal life. After all, the gospel of grace helps us see that we're saved by what Jesus has done, not what we need to do for him. Our salvation comes through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. In his life, Jesus did what we could never do. Jesus lived in perfect obedience to the will of our heavenly Father and so fulfilled the requirements of the law on our behalf. Then Jesus died as the perfect sacrifice for our sins with his death on a cross so that our sins could be atoned for once and for all. And then on the third day, Jesus rose again, proving to be victorious over both sin and death on our behalf. And all we have to do to receive this great gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ is simply believe. That's the gospel of grace. As Jesus says in John 19, verse 30, while hanging on the cross, it is finished. There's nothing we need to add to the great sacrifice of Christ. We simply receive it as the free gift that it is through faith. Now, if there's nothing more that we need to do to be saved, if faith in Christ is all that we simply need to have the assurance of eternal life, then we can begin to believe that we can live how we want, right? I mean, that would seem to give us a license to live however we want, to let grace abound, right? At least that's what my Muslim cab driver thought. He thought Christians believe they, because of Jesus, we can now live however we want. I had to clarify our message by quoting our text from Galatians this morning. Please open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. However, before I read God's word, let's call upon His Holy Spirit to guide us in the reading and the preaching of His Holy Word. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks that by your Holy Spirit you inspired Paul to put pen to paper. And now we have your word, your timeless word for us today. 
I pray, O oh Lord, that as we read your word, you'd continue to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that would be open and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. It may be found on page 1239 of your pew Bible. Listen to the word of the Lord. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will, be, will bear, bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Now, what does Jesus set us free from exactly? Well, according to John Stott and Tim Keller, Jesus' death on the cross has set us free from the great burden of trying to earn our way to heaven. In the cross of Jesus, we can see that God loves us and accepts us because he loves us and accepts us. Not because of anything we do, but because God in his sovereign will has chosen to love us and accept us. As the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have been made right with God because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Our salvation is given to us as a gift through faith in Jesus. Now that our salvation has been secured, we genuinely love God, not because of what we can get from God. God has already shown his love for us. He's already given us eternal life. We genuinely love God out of gratitude for what God has done for us. We don't love God with some ulterior motive, hoping that, well, if we love God, well, then God's going to give us something. That if we love God, then God is bound to give us a gift or, or give us uh, our way to heaven. No, we love God because God first loved us. We love freely out of gratitude for what God has done for us. Not because we're commanded to, but because we genuinely love God for what he's done for us. I love the way Tim Keller puts it. When we, through our works, when we thought our works saved us, when we thought our works saved us, we were serving God for what we could get from him. We were using him. 
But after the hope of the gospel settles in and we see the grace and beauty of God, we love Him for who He is. In response to God's love, we are now able to love God back freely without trying to earn something from God. That's what real love is, is, isn't it? Real love is unconditional, without an agenda. Loving others unconditionally means that we love them regardless of what they can do for us. We love them because we love them. That's how God loves us. Not because of what we can do for Him, because He simply loves us. God loves us because He loves us. And that's how, how we are called to love our neighbor. How are we called to live in light of the gospel? Well, I quoted verses 13 and 14 to my cab driver that day in San Antonio to let him know that, yes, because of God's love, we have been saved. And yes, we're in, out of response for God's amazing love, we're not called to live however we want. We're called to love our neighbor. As Paul writes in verse 13 and 14 of our text this morning, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In response to the gospel of grace, guided by the Holy Spirit, we are now free to live out the law of love. The gospel of grace lets us know that we don't have to worry about earning our way to heaven. We are now able to freely love God, not out of fear or a desire to get something from God, but simply in response to God's amazing love for us. We love God because God first loved us. And when we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, then we begin to love the things that God loves, which is our neighbor, right? That's why the law is summarized by loving your neighbor as yourself. But sometimes it can be hard to love our neighbor, can't it? I mean, have you met some of our neighbors? (laughs) Sometimes our neighbors can frustrate us, they can hurt us, they can disappoint us. Sure, it's easy to love God when God loves us unconditionally, but our neighbor doesn't always love us unconditionally, do they? No, sometimes our neighbor betrays us, they ignore us, they slander us, they even lie to us. How can we love someone who's been mean to us? How are we supposed to love others when they've been anything but loving to us?
How can we love someone who has hurt us, betrayed us, lied to us, slandered about us? By looking at the cross and seeing just how much God has already loved us. And every time we say the Lord's Prayer, we say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Notice that we don't say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors who have asked for forgiveness from us. Our forgiveness of others is not dependent on their need to apologize to us according to Scripture. We forgive because God has first forgiven us. Several months ago, I heard Kim Talley in a sermon point out that holding on to a grudge, holding on to a grudge, having unforgiveness in your heart towards another is like drinking poison and hoping that the other person will die. The reality is, is that unforgiveness only eats us up inside, doesn't it? In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is asked by Peter, how many times should I forgive my brother? And Peter offers up a pretty big number. He says, seven times? Jesus says, no, 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 not seven times, but 77 times. Can you imagine forgiving someone 77 times? I mean, that would be crazy, right? But then in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus goes on to explain to Peter and the rest of the disciples who are listening how important it is for us to forgive from our heart by telling this powerful parable that we find in Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, what's a talent? 10,000 talents. It sounds like a lot of money, but how much is that exactly? Well, in the first century, one talent was worth 6,000 denarii. So one talent, 6,000 denarii. So if he owed 10,000 talents, he owed 60 million denarii. But what's a denarius, right? I mean, what is that, a penny? No, actually, a denarius was actually worth a, a full day's wage for a common laborer, we know from the New Testament. So this servant owes 60 million denarii, 60 million days of work, or 164,000 years of work. Just to kind of put that in its context, we can grasp what Jesus is saying in this story. What year is it? What year is it? 2015, right? 2,000 years after Christ, right? And then we have B.C., and well, we know that David lived about 1,000 B.C. We know that Moses lived 500 years roughly before King David, and we know that Abraham lived about 500 years before that. So we have recorded history of 4,000 years that we find in the Bible, and yet this servant owes 164,000 years worth of wages, an incredible amount that no one could ever possibly repay. Continue with the story. And since he could not pay and never would be able to pay, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. That's not true. He won't be able to pay everything. No one could ever repay this incredible debt. And yet, 
Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Amazing. Amazing. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Just a hundred denarii. One denarius worth one day's wage, basically a hundred days worth of work, less than four months worth of work. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Notice the words. Have patience with me and I will pay you. This is exactly what the other servant had just said to the king. Have patience with me and I will pay you. It's the same plea. It's the exact same thing in both English and the Greek. He refused and and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also... My heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. How many times has God forgiven us? Seven times? Seventy-seven times? Seven times seventy? Four hundred and ninety times? Or perhaps even more than that? You know, I've been a Presbyterian my whole life. I've gone to a Presbyterian church ever since I was a child. And every Sunday morning at a Presbyterian church, we have a prayer of confession, a corporate prayer of confession that we just prayed a moment ago. And then we have this time of silence where we offer times of personal confession. And even as a little boy, all of my life, every Sunday, I've always had something new to confess to God. I haven't been short on sin for the week, have I? God has forgiven us. An amount of times that we could never repay. According to the story, it's 60 million denarii in the illustration that Jesus gives to us today. Our neighbor, on the other hand, simply owes us 100 denarii. Yet often we can't find it in our heart to forgive them, even though God forgives us time and time again. As the Apostle Paul explains in verse 6 of our text, in Christ The only thing that counts is faith working through love. Faith working through love. If we have a hard time loving our neighbor, we need to turn to God. Specifically, we need to turn to the cross and remember just how much God loves us. And then by the Spirit of God, may the love of God flow through us to our neighbor. As we remember God's amazing love that he has for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. As a man who had previously killed Christians, Paul kept his eyes on the cross so that he could remember just how much God loves him and how much God has already forgiven him. And so that God's love might flow through the Apostle Paul to those he met. As John Stott explains in his Christian classic, The Cross of Christ. The value of a love gift is assessed by what it costs the giver 
and by the degree to which the recipient may be held to deserve it. A young man who is in love, for example, will give his beloved expensive presents, often beyond what he can afford, as symbols of his self-giving love, because he believes she deserves them and more. Jacob, for example, served seven years for Rachel because of his love for her. But God, in giving his son, gave himself to die for his enemies. He gave everything for those who deserved nothing from him. It's in response to God's amazing love that the Apostle Paul was able to love others, even those who would slander his name, like the Jewish Christians in Galatia. Or if you read the letters to the Corinthians, you can see people began to question his apostleship. But he continued to love the church in Corinth. Yes, guided by the Holy Spirit, we are now able to become conduits of God's love in response to God's love for us. And as verse 13 of our text uh, this morning explains, we are called to freedom, freedom to love. And we show our love by serving one another. As Paul commands us, um, but through love, serve one another. If we want to show someone we love them, then we need to serve them. As Jesus states in Mark 10, verse 45, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Love is demonstrated through action, through service. So how are we going to love our neighbor this week? How are we going to love those, specifically those that we have conflict with, for those that we can find it hard to forgive? How about we try to serve them? Serve them as Christ has served us, showing unconditional love. Now, if you don't know how to serve your neighbor, if you're not exactly sure how God is calling you to serve your neighbor, then I would encourage all of us to pray that the Holy Spirit might guide us and lead us in how we might serve them. Or we might be bold enough to ask our neighbor, how can I help? How can I help you? But we should begin by praying. As Richard Foster explains, we should serve out of whispered promptings, driving urgings. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in how we can serve others, that we might be a conduit of God's love. And God knows how we need to serve our neighbor. So we need to ask Him, Lord, how can I best serve my neighbor? How can I best serve that person who is in need? But first, we've got to see the need, don't we? We can add this phrase to last week's prayer that I offered up. Lord, help me to see others and to love others the way that you do. And help me to see how I can serve them. Love is completed in service. Let's say that together. Lord, help me to see others and to love others the way that you do. And help me to see how I can serve them. What would Amarillo look like if every Christian in our community prayed that prayer? If we were committed to praying that prayer each and every day, that we would ask God to help me to see others and to love others the way that you do and help me to see how I can serve them, I bet our community would look very different. I bet there wouldn't be as many homeless on our streets today. I bet there wouldn't be as many children wrestling with addictions to drugs and alcohol in our high schools. I bet there wouldn't be as much crime as we have in our community today. Lord, help me to see others and to love others the way that you do. And help me to see how I can serve them. 
You see, the gospel of grace helps us see that we don't have to worry about ourselves anymore, do we? We don't have to worry about our salvation. We don't have to be self-centered. No, now we can be God-centered, and we can see how God can use us to bless others. As God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 so many years ago that he was going to bless him and make a great nation of him so that all the peoples, all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. That promise was fulfilled in Jesus Christ who came from the genealogy of Abraham. And we now can help fulfill and live out that promise, knowing that we have been blessed to be a blessing to others. Whenever we find it difficult to love someone else, may we take the time we need to look at the cross and to remember just how much God loves us and how much He has forgiven us time and time again. And out of gratitude for God's love, May we seek to offer love to our neighbor and forgiveness to them and seek how we can serve them as Christ has served us. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. But it's not a freedom that's been given to us so that we can live according to the flesh. No, it's a freedom that you've given to us so that we might live according to the Spirit so that we might reflect your love. Yes, by your Spirit, you have now empowered us to live out the law of love. Out of gratitude for what you've done for us now, O Lord, we love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we also know that we're called to love our neighbor. So God, by your Spirit, help us to see how we can love others and help us to see how we can serve them. And gratitude for what you've done for us. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.